Just a little love note to all of our loyal free cookie listeners and to anyone who might be new to the show. This is an ad-free podcast. And we want to keep it that way. We want to make sure that we can just give you guys the awesome content, the great interviews. and Without the stuff that you have to fast forward. But in order to do that, we need your support. So if you could join us over at patreon.com forward slash free cookies and become a patron of the show, there are many tiers that you can join. You can throw us a dollar, you can do five, and it turns out we're going to start putting some content up for those of you who are hardcore free cookie supporters. We're going to make this worth your while. So if there's some of you out there who just listen to the show, and you feel like, hey, you know what? I could, I could spend two, three bucks a month. Great. If you guys need a little something as incentive, we're going to put some videos up on Patreon that are going to be exclusive to those of you who are free cookie monsters. And I mean, we're talking some good content. Like I'm going to take you inside my sneaker closet, like that kind of content, you know? And I will contribute recipes and perhaps every now and then our dog will give you a soliloquy. So again, that is patreon.com forward slash free cookies. Thank you. Thanks. I'm Catherine Budick. And I'm Kate Fagan. And this is Free Cookies, a humorous podcast filled with thoughtful conversations and offering delicious takeaways. And today. And today. We are super fired up because we have Lovey Ajayi Jones on the pub week of her brand new book, Professional Troublemaker. Not an amateur troublemaker. Nuh-uh. <laughs> A professional. And she is just one of the more remarkable people out there right now. And part of her book that we were so smitten with was this description of um, an oriki. An oriki, as she describes it in her book, it's a Yoruba word that comes from two words that mean praising your head and your mind. So ori is head and ki is to greet or praise. And Lovey describes it as basically a way of praising your kinship and speaking life to your destiny. And I especially like this description. It's your personal hype mantra that can be yeah, spoken yeah. or sung. Yeah, because I, I love her description of it in the book. And I think she alludes to this as well, but it also reminds me of any time you've watched like, not this doesn't exactly happen in Rocky, but it happens in <laughs> boxing matches, right? We're like, in this corner. You're hype man. The stallion of Philadelphia. <laughs> the Italian stallion. That's all I remember of Rocky. The the puncher of stairs. The runner <laughs> of museums. It's, anyway, we're good, right? <laughs> so that's how I think of it in my head as well. It's, it's nice, too, because I think that as I know some of us might assume that some people are naturally confident. Like if you follow Lovey, she definitely comes off as one of those people who was just born that way. You know, she's got all this fire and self-conviction, mm-hmm. but she even talks about in her book that to, to quote her, I'm confident because I'm constantly doing work to ensure that I do not lose sight of me. So I never have to go looking for me, Yeah, which I love. Cause I I'm always thinking of that, you know, famous saying, know thyself. And it's very easy to let thyself be buried in the the expectations of others. Who said know thyself? Socrates. Or it could have been Aristotle. Could have been any of those guys. Does anyone else feel that uh, there's a lot of people who are interchangeable? Do you in think Cicero? all of those guys fought over who was the sole originator of that statement? In You mean in, in the other sphere that they're in now, the other realm they're currently fighting? In, in their Greekstagram? <laughs> back in the back when the gram was happening, because they're all Greek, I assume. 
Hashtag said it first. Uh, <laughs> so our goal, well, what we decided at the top of the show before we bring Lovey on was that Catherine and I were going to write each other's hype mantras. And this was a really interesting exercise because there are things that I know other people would say define you. And they are central to like who you are, but I didn't want to lend them too much credence in your hype mantra because I know that you don't want to be defined by them as much, you know? So I think there was, there's a lot at play, especially when you're writing your, the, the hype mantra for yourself and, and hopefully some of you dear Which listeners Which is what she that. recommends that yes. you do in her book. Because then you don't have to be like, well, I don't want to hype too much this one area when someone else might love this other part of themselves. So writing each other's was, was an interesting exercise. And if you read the book, it, she has the actual structure of how to create how this. To yeah. Should I read the one she wrote for President Barack Obama, for yes. example? Yeah, yeah. So this is, this is her oriki for President Barack Obama. Barack Hussein of House Obama, second of his name. Swagnificence in the West Wing. He who speaks in complete sentences. Shea Buttered Skin, leader of the world. Michelle's boo, 44 for life. Yes. So that's the idea. And and like the beginning, so the beginning, beginning of all of them are like your full name and then like what family you're from. Right. It's kind of like Game of Thrones style. Yes, Game of Thrones-y. So So wait, who's going to go first? Do you want to go first? I'll go first. I'll go first. I'll go first. I'm very intrigued to see how earnest. All right. Here, I'm just going to, I'm going to read it and then we'll talk about it. Okay. Come on. Come on. Give me, drop my beat. No, drop my Rocky beat. All right. Oh. Is this Rocky too? <laughs> All right. In this corner, we have Catherine Angela Louise Budig of House Budig Fagan. First of her name, wrangler of Ashi, spinner of stories, handstander of honesty, moon maven and fashion figure, knife-wielding flavor magician of 420, grower of greatness. Oh, I just teared up a little bit. Did you? Yes. What did what did you think about my my I, I really like that you hyphenated our names. Yeah, that was my first big play. That was the first tear that welled up in my right eyeball. I wasn't sure. Well, like I'll, I'll read it one more time. Okay. I, I won't. I, I'll just read it softer now. I won't go with the Rocky hype mantra here. Catherine Angela Louise Budig of House Budig Fagan, first of her name, wrangler of Ashi, spinner of stories, handstander of honesty, moon maven and fashion figure, knife-wielding flavor magician of 420, grower of greatness. And people should know that our, that our house number is 420. That is what that's about. But Not that you are knife-wielding. Like to get high. <laughs> Not that it couldn't be a double entendre. Do double entendres always have to be sexual? No. Okay. So maybe that could be a double entendre, but there were a couple of things in there, right? Like I struggled over whether you should be the wrangler of Ashi. The word wrangle is synonymous with Ashi. With what you do with Ashi. Cause lover yes. of Ashi is not quite right. I'm also kind of her punching bag. She did take her little round yeah. puggle head and smash it into my cheekbone this yeah. morning. And so I felt like wrangling was true because when you wrangle something, there is a physicality to it. And your relationship with Ashi has to be physical because she runs away and you have to, you have to bring her near. The- like, a sh- like a hurting. I'm intrigued that that's the part you struggled with because that feels like one of the more natural parts of my Ariki. Yes, but I didn't, I wanted it to be infused with like the, the bond that I know you have and wrangle is kind of more of like a, a, a hurting. No, it rung true. Okay. <laughs> Anything else in there that you have questions about? Mm-hmm. Handstander of honesty was, a, was like, I wanted a little nod to yoga in there, mm-hmm. but I also 
didn't want it to be like hit you over the head with it, right? Like it has a nice alliteration to it as well. And I think that you are you are the most honest person I know, and so I felt like that pairing that together because I think maybe some of that has to do with yoga but some of that might just be part of who you are even before yoga well I I would like to praise you through the oriki that I wrote for you (laughs) (laughs) and on the other side of the ring we have Kathleen Elizabeth of House Fagan second of her name Sorceress nice. of the basketball swish, Ooh. collector of kicks and Catherine kisses, Ooh. slayer of snacks, mother of puggles, <laughs> innovator of ideas and paver of paths, wizard of words and obsessor of all things oat, badass bean blending barista and Budig's forever boo. <laughs> God. Well, one, yours was longer. I had a you lot to long. say about you. <laughs> I think I you, didn't cover how you you flick your hair all the time yeah, too. This kind of thing. Yeah. Um, I, I needed more time. <laughs> more words. Um, one special shout out that you knew that I was second of my name. That's right. Uh, that's Mama Fagan. I know you're listening, Kathleen. There is a chance she's listening. And in case you wondered, now you know Kate is a Kathleen. Unexpected. I, it, that is true. And my mom is also Kathleen Fagan, which is very troublesome when we're on the same flight. I'd also like to point out to every about, everyone out there who thinks the name Kathleen and Catherine are similar. They both start with K's. We get this all the time. Where they're like, y'all have the same name. That's so easy. No, yeah. it is not. Kathleen and Catherine are entirely and, different and names. And Kate and Catherine feel like different names to uh, me too. They just both start with the K. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I guess I've never, you know, especially... When you're gay, you have to th- you have to make sure you're not marrying someone with your same name, which is more likely to happen if you're dating someone of the same. We're just this queer blob <laughs> of K's. <laughs> but sometimes out in the world, people will suggest that like we have the same name, and I really bristle. I I bristle too. It happens at the grocery store a lot. It does happen at the grocery <laughs> store. I think you should read mine one more time. Okay. Wait, am I supposed to do uh, do this? In a less excited way? Like, is this the softer version? This is like, we're not, we're not on Rocky 7 now. Or is this my Game of Thrones? This is the, um, this is not Rocky 7. It's the table read of Rocky 7. Oh, okay. Okay. So I'm like in my sweatpants, which turns out I am. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Is my mic on? Okay. All right, cool. Kathleen Elizabeth of House Fagan, second of her name, sorceress of the basketball swish. Collector of kicks and Catherine kisses, slayer of snacks, mother of puggles, innovator of ideas and paver of paths, wizard of words and obsessor of all things oat, badass bean blending barisa and beauty's forever boo. Oh my God, the last sentence. Although collector of kicks and Catherine kisses <laughs> is the winner. I is like, the winner of all of the sentences. I love alliteration. <laughs> and it's great because it's collector of kick kicks, so that's CK. Oh. Then KK, which mm. is great, which so, is basically the same thing. But there's a C what in we've there. been told. Yeah, well, it's we're basing it off of our. We're essentially the same person, exactly. So, if this opener did not make you want to buy Lovey's book, then I'm sorry, Lovey, that we failed you. But I think this is pretty and interesting, and you, everyone needs to go write their own Ariki now. Yeah, and hopefully, Lovey herself will come on the show and be able to sell her book if we didn't do it already for her. When it turns out. We do have her on the show. I'm just going to come on right now. That was the segue. All right, let's bring her on. 
Lovie Ajayi Jones is an award-winning author, podcast host, and sought-after speaker who thrives at the intersection of comedy, justice, and professional troublemaking. She's the author of the New York Times bestselling book, I'm Judging You, The Do Better Manual, and her website, awesomelylovie.com, is where she covers all things culture with a critical yet humorous lens. She runs her own social media platform and app, Love Nation, which is a safe space in a dumpster fire of a world. All right, Lovey, thank you so much for coming on to the show to talk with us. Um, I wanted to share the moment that I first fell in love with you, if you're interested in hearing that story. Yes, yes, please. <laughs> so we met from Share the Mic Now, the campaign on Instagram that you were part of ahead of. And once everything was said and done, you took the time to write me a handwritten thank you card, which you then <laughs> photographed and emailed to me, which was next level. I loved it so much. But just saying how important it was to you to write handwritten letters. And I was so touched with such a massive, um, inspiring, unbelievable group of women that you took the time to do that for me. And, and not only that, I think, you know, it is old fashioned and I love seeing that stuff still circulating in the world, but it, it just went to show that you put so much time and passion into every single endeavor that you do. So that was... That was my heart just <laughs> moment for um, you. <laughs> I love hearing that. And I'm so glad you liked it. Because I was like, ah, what can show my gratitude? Like, I'm like, all these people have all these things. And I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to show up in this way. And I'm so glad that it made impact on you. It absolutely did. I mean, the, the gratitude for just working with people at the, um, the level that you do and the impact that you're putting out in the world and how many people you're touching and how many things you're doing. But I think the other thing that I got really excited about uh, while I was sitting here reading your new book, Professional Troublemaker, was when you were talking about the Orikis in your book. Yes. And mm -hmm. I was so excited because I accidentally wrote an Ariki for you. Maybe it was like two <laughs> months ago. And I called you lovey goddess of cheekbones, truth and Joloff. <laughs> <laughs> and when I got to that part of the book, I was like, Oh my God, like I'm, I'm already synced into this book. How is this happening? <laughs> yes. Yes. So can you share a little bit about the Orikis to the listeners? And I mean, I, that in itself should sell the book because it's just oh, yeah. so fantastic. And the opener for the show, Kate and I are going to write Orikis for each other for our introduction oh before God. we bring you on. <laughs> yes. So an Oriki is a traditional greeting in Yoruba land that is based on your lineage. It reminds you of who you are, whose you are, where you came from, who they are. And it's a tradition that, I don't know, dates back thousands of years for Yoruba people. And I talk about it in this book because my first chapter in Professional Troublemakers, know who you are, like know thyself. Mm -hmm. And that's a big part. And it's not who you are is not just about your individual self. It's also about those who you tie your your past to. You know, it's it's about the people who you're connected to. And whether or not you have blood ties, some of those people might even be your friends. And I borrowed from Game of Thrones and I realized that Game of Thrones actually had Orikis built in. It's your hype mantra. 
And, <laughs> <laughs> and I always used to write one for people. So I was like, wait a minute. Everybody can write one for themselves too. Because I think everybody needs a hype mantra. Everybody needs mm-hmm. a reminder on why they're amazing and, and why they come from amazing people and why they are part of a larger community of dope people. So that's how the Oriki, that's why I really wanted to make sure it was in this book. So, so the, the subhead of professional troublemaker is the fear fighter manual. And I, I wanted to know how you distinguish in your own body, the difference between your body and mind telling you, no, don't do that. And how you distinguish between whether that is a fear that you actually, your body's telling you something you should listen to, or it's some part mm-hmm. of your subconscious that's, you know, keeping you from growth and keep keeping you down. Like how do you, how do you distinguish between those two and when you take action or you speak or, or you make a move? Yeah, that's a good question. I think sometimes we confuse our anxieties with our instincts. And I even asked my therapist this and I was like, how do you tell the difference between your anxiety and your instincts? And she said, your anxiety feels heavy and your instincts feels like clarity. And I think a lot of times just pausing and saying like, how does this feel? Am I afraid of the growth opportunity or am I actually afraid of danger? We are often thinking what we are afraid of is keeping us away from danger, but really it's keeping us away from growth. So how I determine it, if I keep being compelled to do or say whatever it is, I will. Now, here's the thing. We're often thinking about the worst case scenario, right? Because mm-hmm. usually when we're afraid and we're like, ah, the danger. Okay. So in that moment, we're thinking about what the worst case scenario is. And we have all these imaginations about all the things that could go wrong in that moment, whether it is we want to say or do something. But I'm like, so then do we ever have the same type of limitless ideas about the best case scenario? What could happen? Mm -hmm. That's good. We're always in the realm of danger. But what happens when you say, wait a minute, if I take the danger out of it, if I'm thinking, but what is the good? So I just always want to make sure I'm not opting out of the best case scenario because I'm afraid of the worst case scenario that never comes. Yeah. So yeah, I think. Oh, go ahead. Now you think weighing the consequences saying, you know what? Okay. What is the worst case scenario? Put it down on paper if you have to. Okay. If I speak up about this thing in this room, I might get fired. Okay. If, if, if getting fired is worst case scenario. Okay. Let's say you do get fired. Uh, do you become homeless because you got fired? Is your career over before you, because you got fired? Odds are it's no, unless you get something wildly disastrous, which does not fall into this category. Mm-hmm. But if the best case scenario of you speaking out is you somehow prevent some, some disaster from happening, like a terrible campaign that nobody thought through, right? Or you kept the messaging really thoughtful, or let's say it actually changed the policy of the company that wasn't okay. That's an amazing yeah. best case scenario. So if you shut up because you're afraid of, I might get fired, but what if you don't? What if this thing actually makes movements? Then will you beat yourself up for it? Probably. But because we are usually opting out of that best case scenario, we never see it. I, I know this might be the most literal example, but you did bring it up in your TED talk and it's something that we have in common. 
when you went skydiving. Yes. I, I used to be married to a skydiver and I used to be, well, I guess I'm still technically a certified skydiver, but I was just voraciously shaking my head during that part of your TED talk because I, I had the same experience where, you know, it was like moments away from wishing I had on an adult diaper, you know, like when you're sitting at the door <laughs> and just, Correct. and obviously, you know, that feeling of like, I could legit die. Like there could, this could be like a horrible way. Worst case scenario. Worst, worst I could die. Death. Um, <laughs> But it was definitely the most extreme shift of emotion in the shortest amount of time that I've ever felt in my entire life going from, Mm -hmm. and I know you felt that after watching that, is that feeling Mm -hmm. of like, I'm going to die and I'm going to wet my pants and be embarrassed as I go to God (laughs) with soiled diapers, you know, going immediately to the second you hit the air being like, this is like, this is God. This is, this is everything. And that definitely changed my viewpoint on how I looked at everything that scared me. And I mean, I don't mean from, you know, running from lions and and death, but just like, what are all those things that I have said no to because I don't feel confident in Mm -hmm. the response. And I was just wondering if that skydive moment, was that a big cracking you open moment or were you already on the like fear fighting uh, path ballot? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I think it was part of a fear fighting year that shifted everything. So that skydiving thing was a literal, it was a literal like shaking (laughs) of my whole (laughs) consciousness because even how I said yes to my friend who asked me to go skydiving, typically if somebody asked me something, I'd be like, "Mm, let me think. (laughs) When he was like, let's go skydiving. I was like, okay. Before I even knew what I was saying, okay, too. (laughs) I was like, oh shit. Well, you know what? Something (laughs) made me say, okay, that fast. So Mm -hmm. you know what? I'm going to honor it and I'm going to go. And to your point, it's wild to be jumping out of a plane. You're, you want to talk about fear? Yes. The worst case scenario is you lose your life. That's the worst case scenario. Mm -hmm. And I still did it. And while doing it, I was like, yo, this is the best thing I could have done. When you make the choice to do something that could actually make you lose your life, everything else feels like, oh, that's small, that's small pennies. But even then, I realized that it was such a metaphor for just my life in general because mm-hmm. I realized that even though I'm not always skydiving, I haven't been skydiving since, you know, speaking the truth and being myself has been that thing every day. Sometimes it feels like you're about to jump and lose everything when you're challenging something big. But other times you're like, you know what? I did catch my breath. I was supposed to do that. So yeah, no, Mm -hmm. skydiving is a great exercise because when you think about every single day, the things that you're asked to do, the things that you're compelled to do, they sometimes feel really big, but they're not. We will create and turn our fears into massive monsters. These dragons that chase us around and are constantly looking to kill us but really we created the monster so kill the monster kill the monster okay just kill it and and know that it 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 does not belong and and it might seem to be this big thing it might feel like it's in the room but honestly walk past the monster and you'll realize it doesn't even bite you so that's how i think about when we're afraid of saying something that feels tough or when we're afraid of asking for the raise or when we're afraid of going for a role that we might not feel qualified for. We create the monster in our heads, but you know what? We've slain dragons before. So slay that dragon. 
you're so right about the the monsters that don't even bite you or aren't even real. Because I think so, so many of them, I'm assuming, have a foundation, you know, when you're younger in your childhood or, or things that you were taught or told or experiences. And I know a strange one that I have is that I have to hype myself up if I want to promote myself in any way. Mm-hmm. It's a small little thing, but if I... I, I go, I, I spin myself in circles before I'm going to like put something up on Instagram or put a story up to promote so my true. own work or like, Lovely. It's she just, takes 90 minutes to do an Instagram story. Just, it's, legit. it's a, it's a, ch- it's a childhood story <laughs> of like, you know, m- my dad would just always be like, you know, never tell people you're great, show them. Right. And this is, this is a tangential effect of that because he obviously didn't mean he didn't know Instagram was going to exist <laughs> and everything. But so that is one example of the question I'm about to ask you, which is of all the bold, you know, fear facing things that you do, like what is one outside of skydiving that you do regularly? Well, you don't skydive regularly, but that you, that, that requires like the most self-talk for you to execute. Mm. I mean, I think for me, the latest was even writing this book. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, writing a book about fear during the pandemic. I had my manuscripts due first week in May of 2020. Mm. The world shuts oh, wow. down second week in March. And I still had it. I was still on the hook. And I'm like, isn't that hilarious? It's like God in the universe was like, ha, okay, we're about to challenge you to see if you can do this whole fear fighting thing during a time when the whole world is petrified. And for me, I had many days where I just sat on the couch and looked at my blank screen like, uh, I don't know. But then I felt convicted to be who I said I was out loud mm-hmm. in, in, in private. And I had to fight my own fear of what this book could be. I remember talking to my therapist and she was like, you're procrastinating. She was like, what's, what do you think is behind that? What are you afraid of? And I realized I was afraid of what could happen if this book did what I think it would do. If this book was wildly successful, if this book had the impact on people that I think it would do, I was afraid of what that could look like for me. Cause we talk about fear of uh, failure a lot. We don't talk about fear of success. So she was like, yeah, because I think you're procrastinating as a form of self-sabotage. I was like, Damn. <laughs> you right. I was like, you correct. Drag me. <laughs> I, I, I love that you bring up the concept of fear of success. Okay, go for it. Yeah. I feel like we have the same follow-up same question. Brain, so. Yeah. so the fear of success, because Kate and I have been obsessed with this essay that David Duchovny shared recently. And in it, he talks about failure. And you talk about that in your book as well, about failing loudly. And, and Duchovny mm-hmm. said, I tell my kids that no one ever learned anything from success except for how to imprison yourself trying to repeat it. So I'm mm. very curious what you think of that statement and if that is at all linked with your idea of what fear of success is. That is accurate, man. Isn't it? Success just tells you, that is amazing. I know. Success it's, just tells you, keep doing what you were doing. Yeah. You that is actually accurate. But when you fail, you realize you have to make an adjustment. You have yeah. to learn something. You you realize you've hit your head on your limit, your knowledge limit, your your prowess, whatever it is. Failure is the quickest way to learn because then you feel the sense of urgency to know more. And that's correct because, you know, success affirms what we were doing, who we were. It tells us, yes, you know what you're supposed to know. Failure tells you, I need you to know more. Mm. 
And there's a bit of that that we're all also afraid of because we don't want to have to grow because growing pains are called that for a reason because they hurt. <laughs> like when kids, when kids are actually going through a growing spurt, they're crying all the time because your bones are stretching. That's the same thing that happens. And I think one thing I'm always afraid of is that I'm going to stop growing. It's why I actually never call myself an expert at anything because the moment I call myself an expert is when I say there's nothing more for me to learn. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm always like, okay, what, what can I learn today? How can I be better than I was today? Um, and I'm always clear that I'm not in competition with anybody but myself. Yeah. Like I don't have competition. The only person I'm in competition with is me from yesterday is me from last week. And I think when I was writing this book, I realized that I was also being called to grow as I was writing it because the book that I needed to write insisted on my vulnerability, it insisted on my radical honesty with myself so there were times when I was writing chapters and I'd be like, oh shit, I needed to hear this myself. Mm-hmm. Like I'm, I feel like I wrote this book to me. I wrote this book for me um, because this is the book that I need all the time. And honestly, I wrote the book because I needed it last year <laughs> when, yeah. when we were like, how long are we going to be in the house? Oh, we're not sure. Oh shoot. <laughs> what does our career look like now? Especially those who make money by performing or getting on stages or so, yeah. I kind of want to stay on the fear of success thing for a second because I think it's really, it's, sometimes it seems like more hard to understand and define mm-hmm. than fear of failure mm-hmm. because I think maybe just through our culture, like a fear of failure, because we're so achievement culture and it's like everybody yeah. gets the messaging growing up about, okay, this is what failure looks like. And mm-hmm. we so we all understand fear of failure. I, not that we all understand, yeah. but I think it's easier to grasp. Whereas fear of success is really hard to pinpoint. Like, cause I mm-hmm. think that fear of success for me, if I'm tying it back to the Duchovny quote about like you imprison yourself trying to repeat it and then love you what you said about failure teaches you something and you grow. So it's like almost when you fail, you know, you're growing and you're learning and there's something in yeah. that pain that, you know, will be fuel if you're paying attention to it. Whereas it's not always clear to me what my point is when I'm it went on things, when I've been successful, of course I'm reaching for it. And like, of course I want it. Like these things sound great, selling tons of books and having people look at you as some, as someone who has quote unquote achieved. And yet if you're in this moment or you're a part of this thing where you're, you know, let's take this book, right? It lands and it sells a million copies. This fear of success, what does it actually, f- and maybe I'm going to spin it back on you here. Like does, does fear of success about what that would mean then for you to like move forward and continue growing? Is it almost like, mm. well, where do I grow from there? Like, how do I then, what's my next step? Do I have to go back to failure? Like what, I guess, what, what, what does that make you think about as I kind of ramble on there for about 60 seconds? <laughs> I mean, the thing about fear of success is, you know, you actually can grow with success. Mm. Sometimes you're actually forced to grow, but the growth is different. It's that when you actually are successful or when something does work really well, what you will find is you have to change the structures around you. Mm -hmm. You know, you yourself might not have to change, but the structures around you will have to. So you might have been 
it's not a moment for you to do something different. It's a moment for you to like have different people around you, mm. different. Like, yeah, if you all of a sudden go from getting 20 speaking engagements a year to 50, you're going to need a bigger team. Yeah. If you are all of a sudden in- increasing your fee, you you might need to be in a new tax bracket. You you might need to get a new accountant, right? If you have a particular amount of meetings a week and now you're having 50, now you need bigger boundaries. So you won't have to change, but how you're operating in certain ways will have to change. And that's scary too. Like who you were when you were making $30,000 cannot be the same person who you were when you're making 3 million or 30 million. Yeah. So that's the stuff that becomes scary is what will have to change around me now. Right. And you, you talk about in the book too, about not letting people make you feel bad about being successful. And I don't know if that's something that, that might run through your head where as you continue to, to gain success, because obviously the more successful you get, you, you have the people who, you know, see you and they do want to support you and they do want to lift you up. And, you know, you've got your, your group of people that you trust, but then there's, you know, the trolls and the people who are going to be jealous. And, and how do Mm -hmm. you, how do you keep your mind clear? Because I I do believe that every human, when you peel them away, are just these little sensitive balls of like tissue paper on the inside. We're just like flimsy little sparkly pieces of tissue paper Mm. and covered up with like duct tape. (laughs) You know what I mean? And like if people scratch at that duct tape enough, like they're going to get to that stuff that's so delicate. Like how do you, what is it? What is a day in the life of like, you put so much out there, you share so much, you're about to release this massive second book. Like how do you keep yourself safe and sane and clear? I have really strong boundaries really strong boundaries and I'm very protected by the people who are around me. Like I'm very insulated in that even though I am very public in my platform, most people don't know what I'm doing when I wake up or even what time I wake up. And most people don't know what time I go to sleep <laughs> and what I do in between. You know, I'm I'm like a open book that has a lot of locked chapters. <laughs> so that actually protects me because who I'm letting into my energy um, is minimal. Who I have, who I let have real access to me is yeah. minimal. And also there are a lot of times when I'll post and I'll just, I'll just drop. Like, yeah, you I won't back. anything I else. Yeah. yeah. I'll post and I'll leave. Yeah. I actually don't have to listen to everybody's shit. Mm. So I am very much like, okay, I can, I can leave whatever I want to leave and then leave myself. No, like I'm, yeah. I don't have to listen to ever. I always tell people like, in terms of even the boundaries of social media, we don't have to open ourselves up. I guess we don't have to receive the foolishness that people might drop our way. Like, if I don't want to look at comments, I'm not going to that day. You know, I don't reply to every single comment I get. If I get a crazy DM, there are some days when I have time to reply where I'm like, you got me messed up. And other days I just delete and report a spam. So I think protecting our well-being in our mental space is of utmost importance. It is of utmost importance because nobody owes us that. Like it's not everybody else's responsibility. Mm -hmm to ensure that we're okay. It is ours. So we have to be fiercely protective of it. It means 
not feeling bad about deleting people who come crazy at you, reporting the spam, blocking. And, you know, people love to be like, oh, my God, this person has blocked me. I'm always like, okay, you clearly earned it and they're clearly protecting their space. Mm -hmm. And you can only, and I think people feel so entitled, which is why they feel mad when it happens. Oh, my God, how dare she block me? You can say whatever you want to say about me on, on your own page. Yeah. But on my page, you're not coming crazy at me. I'm not giving you space because this is this is a dictatorship. <laughs> my platforms are dictatorships <laughs> and I am the dictator. Oh you can go have your democracy on your own platform. <laughs> Respect. <laughs> so in Professional Troublemaker, there there were numerous quotes that I, that I wrote down. And, and one that struck me was you wrote, you know, when you are only handing out without receiving, you might be unknowingly leading with your ego. And mm-hmm. I think this kind of gets at the heart of, the, you know, just the question of just altruism and, you know, where, where our motivations truly come from when we peel everything away. But when you, when you wrote that about when you're constantly handing out without allowing people to give to you, that particular insight, do you remember kind of how you landed on it and where that, that came from? Yeah, I think, um, I just have a lot of friends who refuse to not let me receive their love. I have a lot of family who refuse to not let me receive it. And I realize that we often will consider our generosity as a badge of honor, which we should, but then we won't be, we're not able to receive other people's generosity, which honestly, when you think about it, sounds selfish. Mm-hmm. It's like, we want all the praise for ours, but then we won't let other people do the same thing for us. Mm-hmm. And for those of us who are really big givers, who are constantly trying to figure out how to make sure we're serving the world, why don't we let other people serve us? It is their form of kindness. It is their form of gifts. And we need to be able to receive gifts just as much as we're able to give it. So, yeah, the ego of it all is we want to be the one that's like, oh, my God, I did that. Mm-hmm. Then let somebody else be the one that says, yes, I did that for you, too. <laughs> so I think it's, a, it's, it's one of those things that we all have to be intentional about seeing when we're doing it. So it's when, like, a friend offers a favor and you quickly say, no, 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 I don't need that. No, you do need it. Mm-hmm. Let, let them do it for you and receive it with grace. You know, speaking of receiving, I was listening to an episode of your podcast about therapy, and um, I, I wanted to offer my condolences for your therapist, Dr. Patterson. Thank you. Um, but I, I, I love what you have to say, and I love how open you are about it. I, we both feel strongly about therapy as well, and, and you say in it that, you know, therapy is cardio for the mind, and I, I love that you say that humanine is hard. It, it's so freaking hard, <laughs> humanine. But... I am so curious because I feel like if you're on our team, like the the three of us right now, and if you've been there and you know, you know, you know that therapy is what everyone needs. How do you talk? So I have a mom and I can say whatever I want about my mom because she doesn't listen to the podcast. Um, But (laughs) I have a mom who would like never, ever consider doing therapy. And she's older and she comes from that generation you know, who mm-hmm. kind of feels like therapy means like, yeah, there's something wrong with you if you need to go to therapy, like deeply wrong. That's her mm-hmm. generation. 
And mm-hmm. I love my mom. And again, I can say this because she's not listening, but she could use some serious therapy, some serious, mm-hmm. serious therapy to peel away all these stories that she's told herself her entire life. But if I were to suggest that to her, um, it would get wrapped up into another story. Yes, yeah. she would immediately turn it into something else. And I'm just curious from your mm-hmm. experience, do you have any t- tools in your tool bag to convince people who might be anti-therapy that this truly is the path for everyone? <laughs> all beans so everywhere. All do, I mean, the thing is, you know, a lot of our parents are of that generation that's like, oh my God, people going to be in my business. Yeah. And there's not changing a lot of it. Some of that is actually just talking to them and saying, in therapy, I learned this. I think we use ourselves as we should use ourselves as models. Mm. You know, who we are is not necessarily about trying to convince other people to be just like us by word, but I think even them seeing how much this thing has done for us matters. You know, so for me, like a lot of my friends, I never had the, you should go to therapy talk. It's, we'll be talking about something. I'll reflect something that my therapist said, and they'll be like, oh, that's good. And I'll, I'll be like, have you thought about doing therapy? Yeah, consider <laughs> never it. Gonna go over well. Got to pounce right there when right? you get that opening. <laughs> right? It's like, have you thought about therapy? Yeah, I thought about it. But, but you know what, though? Your job is not necessarily to convince your mom to go to therapy because that's, that's a tall order. And I think yeah. a lot of people think, you have to, that's a tall order. You cannot make other humans do anything, mm-hmm. but I think you model what it looks like. You are the best case scenario of what it looks like to go to therapy. So even when they go, oh my gosh, she has changed. She has grown. You know, well, it's because I've been going to therapy. Wow. I didn't think that. Hey, have you thought about it? <laughs> and if they take it, if they don't take it well, and here's the other part. If they don't take it well, still not your business. Yeah. Not, not for you to take on. Oh my God, you can, are you saying I'm crazy? I didn't say that. I just know how much therapy has helped me out, has helped me with my traumas, and I recommend it for everybody. How somebody takes your recommendation is no longer your business. And that's why therapy is amazing, right? Because you start learning that so much of the world is less about you and less, more about everybody else. How people react to you, what people say to you. You know, the way people will even insult you is really about them, not about you. And it allows you to move freer because, hey, I, you'll start recognizing very quickly that everybody's reacting more to their traumas than to who you are. Mm-hmm. All right. I want to talk a little bit about your writing process, because I, you, I know you mentioned that the it was March coronavirus happens, the book is due in May, or just your writing process in general when it comes to book-length stuff. We were, I don't know if I was reading the, uh, it was a book on writing and this concept that many writers are either gardeners or architects kind of came up. with Gilbert, maybe? I don't know, I'm not sure, or maybe Philip Pullman. Sorry, Mm -hmm. we're just over here. (laughs) Well, this is not interesting content, I'm gonna move on from uh, (laughs) trying to debate this right now. But So this concept of, and there's obviously gray area, but that some writers are gardeners, meaning like the idea kind of exists there and they're just kind of peeling it away and letting it grow. Or Mm -hmm. they've got the blueprint and they're the architect, like they create the blueprint and then they build it from the blueprint. I mean, there's gray areas to this, but do either of those philosophies and strategies on writing like resonate with you about which one you are? I'm probably closest to the architect in that I have the, I create the blueprint and then I build on top of it. 
Um, my writing process, I typically come off a, I use an outline. My outline goes into the proposal, especially for book writing. I definitely have used my proposal as like my guide. Yeah. yeah. And then I write from there. I like build the different rooms and it helps me complete the book because I can see what the house will look like before I even start writing. And I think that's a big part of when people are um, book writing or why they can't tend to finish. Some people just sit down and think a book is just going to come out of them. And yep. I'm like, have you planned it out? <laughs> if you Good have luck. not planned it out and you're just pulling words from the air and building as you go along, it is a setup. You are set yourself up for not finishing because you have not built this floor plan yet. So yeah, I think that's been important because my, my proposal usually has what I need. So even if I was to have writer's block, which I don't, if I have writer's block, it's called procrastination. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just be honest on how I operate. So because I already have everything listed on what I wanted to write, what I wanted to say. For each of my books, I always have a thesis statement. And I think everybody should. Um, a thesis statement. What is this thing that you're trying to say? Put it in two sentences or less. If you can't put it in two sentences or less, your book is doing too much. And for me, for this book, that thing is for us to live the world, the life that is most audacious, that is biggest, that is going to have the most rewards. We're going to have to fight our fears and be professional troublemakers. Mm-hmm. That's the whole point of my book. And, and that lets me move. And Lovey, what, what is a professional troublemaker? I think a professional troublemaker is a truth teller. I think it's somebody who is unable to be quiet in a world that is unjust. It's yeah. somebody who insists that every room that they're in is elevated whether or not they have to be the one on the island, whether or not they have to go against the grain, a professional troublemaker insists that they do not enable foolishness, <laughs> whatever <laughs> form that takes. Okay. And I think professional troublemakers are the people you need in your life. When you don't have them, things go to shit. Yeah. When the world is a dumpster fire, it's because the professional troublemakers were silenced or not listened to or punished. You need professional troublemakers. They're the ones who make sure that the campaign is most thoughtful, that, you know, the, rela- the relationship is most healthy. They're the ones who make sure that the company is doing its best work. Professional troublemakers are, 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 are world savers. They're game changers. And I think it goes without saying that everyone should own both of your books, but when people are picking up Professional Troublemaker, do you recommend that people uh, read I'm Judging You before, complimentary, like is it a after di- dinner dessert drink, like is there an order for readers or just get them both? Yes. <laughs> I think, one, I think you should get both the books. Yes. I do think they can be read independently of each other, but what's funny is I think Professional Troublemaker is the big sister to, to uh, I'm Judging You. Okay. I think it is the how to the what. So for I'm Judging You, I'm saying, hey, we're all kind of terrible at humaning. <laughs> we got to get our lives together and stop being, being as terrible as we are. And then professional troublemaker is like, let me tell you how you're going to do that. Yeah. You're going to have to be a professional troublemaker. You're going to have to push people and disrupt what's happening for the greater good. And here's how. All right. We've got a couple, we've got a few important quick hit questions. Um, my first one is, 
is there anything that's not yet on your hype bio that you want to be putting on that hype bio someday? Yes, I want to get. I want to be a MacArthur genius. Mm. Ooh, yes, I like that hype bio edition. Yes. It, it fits seamlessly too. You don't even really have to rearrange any of the structure of the way you could put it in. <laughs> you could just, you know, it could be like Joe Loft loving MacArthur genius. It just kind of flows right in. <laughs> That's what I'm trying to tell you. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I have another one. If oh. I could follow up, sure, I'll wait. Um, so. I didn't research enough on this, so perhaps you already own your Holy Grail Jordans, or maybe Jordans aren't like your top, top pick of things, but since they're mine, I'm going to project onto you. Do you have a Holy Grail Jordan right now that you don't own that you have your eye on? Ooh, that's a good one. <laughs> Ooh, that's a good one. The, am- the, the ambush Jordan one, <gasps> the ones that were white and black. I just the got Kate the pink ones. Oh, I got the Valentine's pink ones. Day. I the white and black ones. They are cool. I was so sad I missed out on. Like it made yeah. me so sad. I was like, no. Yeah. <laughs> I, I had plans and, and fire ass outfits to, to wear with them. Like then you missed the drop oh on the God. sneakers app. <laughs> yeah, I and Lily, what's drop. with the sneakers app? Don't you think it's just like L after L? Have you ever have you ever gotten ever. the sneakers app? Ever. is a trap and it is a it scam. Is. It is. I'm like, how in the hell do people ever get anything on that stupid app? Mm-mm. I hate it so much. I know. Oh, the ambush one. I'm so I'm so salty about those ambush <laughs> ones. Like I so salty. I, I check goat and stock X sometimes just to be like, oh my God. Yep. <laughs> Why? It's so sad. Yeah. yeah. And what do you think? Okay, legit, right before we got on this call with you, I'm downstairs working, Kate's upstairs working, and I get a text message because that's that's what 2020 has done to us. We text each other in our own homes. And she texts me saying, I haven't bought sneakers in so long, and there are these three pairs I'm craving, and one of them is the Dior, so please lock me down. <laughs> to which I responded, oh, okay, shit. Dior are a big no because yeah. those are like no 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 okay so they're okay. like $12,000 yeah. Lovey don't you think that when someone asks you for your holy grail like everyone to some degree is just assuming okay so we'll put the Dior's over here because they're not even reasonable and then you go to the other holy grails because the Dior's are out of control right like I that's out of control Right. The Dior's are out okay. of order. Okay. Like yeah. the, the pricing of the Dior's is, is officially out of pocket. I just, Seriously? I can't yeah, see it. No. I can no. justify no. things to my 15 year old self that would never have flown. Right. Like I could, I could right. maybe get up to buying something that hit like, a, I'm not even going to say the name <laughs> because my mom would be mad to hear it. But, but it, it, it hits a level where you're like, that's just not responsible to be a functioning human on this planet and spend right. that. But know? if Dior and Nike wanted to send you a pair. Now that's a I'm different story. The hell out of that. Yes. Yes. Now I'm wearing, but I just want, I got to say kudos to you for that ambush gift for Valentine's Day. That's an oh, amazing thank you. gift. Thank you. Right. I was pretty proud of myself. Catherine, that's incredible. That is, you did that. Deep bow, deep bow. That's right. <laughs> so total non sequitur from the shoe talk. And I know we could keep going on this for a long time, but I have a question about your last name, Ajayi. Because in Sanskrit, there's a word called Jai and it's J-I, J-A-I, Jai. And you, you sometimes hear it used in, in yoga practices and it means victory. So sometimes at the mm. end of the class, you know, people will say namaste or they'll say jai. And it's this, it's kind of <gasps> oh. like a, a hype Sanskrit word. And so I was wondering, 
I, if your last name, do you know if it has a, a certain meaning or connotation? Because the minute I saw Jai and I saw your last name, it just made me, when I found out... It seems to fit. It, it seems to fit yeah. very well. That's funny. No, Ajayi is Yoruba. And it is... Well, I, I actually looked on Google right now and it says the <laughs> last name. Yeah, it's... I think it means like a born breach, funny enough. Huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not, yeah, not yeah, really but, what we were looking for. But <laughs> not what we're looking for, but I love that guy. <laughs> right? I yeah, it actually is. It does mean born breach. It does, I just looked again. Yeah, it does mean born breach. That's a professional troublemaker there, right, from right? the beginning. That is. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> a jai, yeah, but I love that um, to know what jai means. That's right. power. It's cool, yeah. right? I thought that was yeah. good for you. Yeah, so now that's why I wanted to keep it. Like when I got married, I was like, I'm still going to keep the Ajayi as part of my middle, I mean, part of my last name. So it's now Ajayi Jones. Because I was like, I can't leave a Jai behind. No. It, it, it moves can't. your mouth in a nice way, too. It's, yes. it's pleasing. It's pleasing to say. Yeah. It feels good. Yes. Well, okay. Right, lovey. The final, the final Most important question of the podcast. Since you're on free cookies, the question in front of you is, what is your favorite cookie? I'm simple when it comes to cookie. My favorite cookie, just a good sugar cookie. Oh. And, um, mag- Yes, Magnolia Bakery has my favorite. Mm, okay. The, are they yep. in Chicago too, or are we thinking of the New York one, or is it a different New York, bakery? The cupcake. The New York. Yeah, the cupcakery. That- New York, okay. yeah. but they just got a Chicago location like three years ago, which I was oh. so geeked about. So now I like get their sugar cookies and live my best life, and I actually wish I had some right now. Damn. Yeah, sugar cookies. Well, well, yeah, we'll be requesting a picture of the sugar cookie next time you have one. I'm hoping it's one of those, like, big ones, you know, with, like, a chewy center. Uh, I don't know no, if you're a chewy center or you're crispy. Much. You think that's too much? No, I like the, I like the, it's still soft. I will pop it in, in the microwave to give it a little bit of softness, mm, okay. right? Yeah. Okay. But, yeah, I, I just like a, a regular sugar cookie. Makes my life good. Yeah. I, I Butter, respect that. sugar, flour. I'm chocolate I'm chip and Kate is oatmeal, so you just struck a really nice neutral ground with that sugar cookie. Yeah, nobody's <laughs> mad. You, you're Switzerland. You can have your sugar cookie. We're not going to fight for your attention. It's <laughs> <laughs> good. Well, congratulations. We wish you all of the success and failure because... You got to wrap it all we, up. We're not really sure which one's better yet, <laughs> um, but we love you and thank you for I taking the time to talk with success. us. Yeah, <laughs> that's you're, right. You're amazing and we love what you're doing, so... Thank, thank you. you. Thanks, love so me. much. Thank you. Thank you for having me. That'll do it for this week's episode, second episode of season four of Free Cookies. Here, wrapping it up. Thank you to Lovey for joining us, master of MCs, and wow, you know what I could never mm-hmm. be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm is a freestyle rapper. Oh my God. I mean, that is a talent that I bow down to. All I can think of though, when you say that is, um, what's the MC movie? Nine mile, six mile, eight mile, eight mile. (laughs) (laughs) And I love that you called it the MC movie. Like I'm not sure anyone's ever called eight mile, the the MC movie. I mean, nine mile, six mile. Did I say MC? Yes. Eminem is I think what you meant. Help us. Do you think that we should, we should record this again or we should just let this roll? (laughs) I mean, Let's just keep going. I'm sorry. Um, I'm here to watch Six Mile by M- MC. I'm not going to even. MC Hammer. <laughs> <laughs>
I'm not going to even continue that thought. But Listen, neither neither of us can remember eight miles name, so we can't freestyle rap. All I can think about is mom's spaghetti. That's all I can think about yeah. when I think of freestyling, of being nervous in mom's spaghetti. That's um, all. That's, yeah. that's mom's my point. spaghetti, I'm ready. I'm not nervous. I'm calm and ready like mom's spaghetti. I remember when I was playing basketball because, you know, I played basketball um, in college. That was when that song came out, when that movie came out. And my head coach at one point, you know, like white woman from Kentucky. Slayer of swishes. Slayer of the basketball swishes, not just swishes, basketball swishes. I did that basketball you too. Did, just to make sure that people, so people don't get confused. <laughs> but she like stood up and quoted MC from six mile and it was just the juxtaposition didn't quite work you know because that song is is a hype song in itself oh my god yeah it's one of the best hype songs ever 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 we should probably just um (laughs) calmly leave the show now (laughs) oh my god we're produced by Lindsay collins who's burying herself in her latte right now because she's so embarrassed by us but she is uh not spinning it up on her shirt like mom's spaghetti so i'm impressed with she's staying calm and ready her control (laughs) <laughs> uh, we want to thank you if you love the show and you've made it this far in this episode congratulations but uh, if you were enjoying it if you could rate and review it on Apple Podcasts that would be amazing I want to thank Adler 27 mm-hmm. for the five star review and I'm really sad because it, it, the, the, the topic says came for the cookies stayed for the da, 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 and I can't get to the the punani that's what she wants to say or he I don't know. What do you think? Do you think that was? I did not expect you to say Punani. Ashi is pissed because that's Ashi's word. Uh, That's Ashi's word. This is the most terrifying closer of a show ever. Do you think that our listenership is more than 90% women? More than 90% women. Like we have 10% male listeners. Yeah, I just wonder how many. Yeah, I mean, yes. I think we have ten percent listeners. I, I would just—I think we have one hundred percent women. One hundred percent. Okay. One hundred percent. So if we there's a dude out there listening to this, we want to hear from you, Keith. I know you're listening, and I know you're gonna like text me and tell me I'm not funny. I love that we've just turned this these few minutes into like our personal vendetta. I know. We should um, look. You can email us at freecookiespodcast at gmail.com. You can follow us on Instagram at freecookiespodcast. Or Catherine at Catherine Budig, or at the Inky Phoenix. I'm at Kate Fagan three, and in real life, I am the slayer of basketball swooshes and the collector of kicks and Catherine kisses. That is correct. Now you. Now now you remember a line from mine. I'm the Wrangler of Ashies, and it's Budig Fagan. Ooh, don't you forget it.